Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Start and end your day with the good news. The good news with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin and friends with the good news. Hello, friend. It is Angie Austin and friends. We are going to talk to uh, uh, some guests that you've never heard on the program before. And then I have my regulars, my good news gals, Cindy and, uh, pardon me, Miguel and Kelly Cervantes. Miguel and Kelly Cervantes. Uh, he is a Hamilton star out of Chicago in that show Hamilton, so famous. And uh, also, they uh, also do nonprofit work, uh, working with people with ep- epilepsy, is my understanding. So we'll get more specifics when we talk to them in a few minutes. But right now, I'm going to welcome the good news gals. We've got Beatrice and Donna and Cindy and Jennifer, our regular gals. And we are going to share a story that we ran out of time for earlier in the week, which is the uh, Little Ricky story. This is Little Ricky. Uh, you may remember from the uh, uh, I Love Lucy show, their son. And this is his name is uh, Keith, and this is how he found Jesus. Welcome, ladies. Hi. I'm glad to be here. Mm. I, I can't wait to hear about Little Ricky receiving Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. That's all right. That is it. really yeah, cool. But he went through some bumps before it. he was able to find Jesus. We all have stories, don't we? I know. We all have stories. <laughs> I know. All right, so let's start with part, part one, a Little Ricky story. Keith, here's Keith. I was about four and a half at the time, and my dad said, Keith, this is really important. This is a really big show in Hollywood. I knew from my father's ex- explanation of it uh, that it was, it was something big. It was big. The year was 1956, and little Keith Thibodeau from Lafayette, Louisiana, was auditioning for one of the most popular TV series in the world, I Love Lucy. Lucy comes up and said, well, he's cute, but what does he do? And my dad said, well, he's a drummer. And she says, oh, come on. So they happen to have a set of drums on the set. And she said, there are some drums. Let's see what he does. Sheldon Leonard, who was the uh, producer, big producer in, at Desilu Studios, he came over and was watching me play. And then finally, Desi came over and, and began to jam with me on the set. And he stood up and laughed. And he said, I think we found little Ricky. For the next four years, Keith played the part of little Ricky Ricardo on I Love Lucy. He later landed a role on The Andy Griffith Show as Opie's friend, Johnny Paul. By then, his family had moved to Hollywood and life was great. Keith sensed that there was a higher power working in his life. I began to ask my dad, you know, why did God pick me to do this, you know? You know, he could have picked any little boy to, to, to play the part of, of uh, little Ricky. But uh, my dad said, well, God's got a purpose for you, Keith. And that always stuck in my mind, that, that way back when, that I felt like God had his eyes on me. But then, Keith's life was torn apart. My dad um, was unfaithful to my mother. My whole life uh, came crashing down when that happened. I thought our, our family was one unit, and all of a sudden it was, a, it was not. And uh, the dad that I thought I had was not the dad that he was. Keith needed someone or something to blame for the breakup of his family. I was mad at my father, and um, I was very, very mad at just the world 
and everything. Show business was, was part of that, um, the problem. I felt like if I hadn't gotten the part on the Isle of Lucy show, we would still be in Louisiana and our family would be together. But God was, was eventually the one who really, I really shook my fist at. During his teen years, Keith dove headfirst into the Hollywood party scene. My friends began to do drugs, and so I began to just um, get in with them and, and just, uh, I wanted to be cool. He also became fascinated with the occult. I knew that there was a supernatural world. I began to, to dabble with Ouija boards and um, just reading books about warlocks. And my life um, from that point on began to, to really, really take a downward uh, spiral. All right, so one thing that just stands out in my head <clears throat> was, because uh, I remember being little and seeing my dad kiss some other lady that wasn't, you know, uh, his wife. I think that we, um, as adults and as parents, uh, we really need to think about how our behavior affects others and look at how his little Ricky, um, how uh, Keith Thibodeau, how, that's who little Ricky is, how his life spiraled out of control when his dad made decisions. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing how, how we act at a soccer game in front of other parents or get enraged or get mad. at. I saw two ladies fighting over our parking spot in front of a school. It's like, don't you know your kids go here? Like, knock wow. it off. Yeah. This affects your children. Right. Mm. Yeah, and we've got to... Um, we were talking about taking responsibility for ourselves, yeah. but know that um, just like Keith had said, you know, God, God has his eyes on you, but so do our children. Our That's children right. are watching too, and it impacts their lives. Um, I'm going to talk at the conference about truth is distorted in our youth. And um, based on what we see from our parents, mm -hmm. we start to believe um, untruths. And it shapes us as, as children, and it, it carries into our adulthood. So we do need to be very, very careful um, on how we act and what we do. Absolutely. All right, let's uh, hear part two of Little Ricky's story, and uh, then we're going to have our guests join us, one of the stars of Hamilton out of Chicago, and they are also care advocates. So I want to get to that, and that's right after this uh, part two. That fascination opened Keith up to other influences. I began to... Uh, to be tormented by these voices. And these were demonic voices um, that were telling me to kill myself and, and uh, nobody likes you and, and, and you know, you are just, uh, um, you're just nobody. Keith stood at the edge of suicide on several occasions, but he kept remembering what his father had told him years earlier, that God had a purpose for his life. I cried out to God and I said, if you're real, I said, if you save me and take me out of this this mess that I made of my life, then I'll serve you. Shortly after that, Keith's mother invited him to church. I prayed and um, I, fell, I fell into a trance or a vision. I don't know any other word to explain it. And there was this like light that was in the distance. And as it got closer to me, I could realize that there was a, a man and that person revealed himself as Jesus and I said, Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to appear to me in such a way. You know, what about this sin? What about that sin? And Jesus responded to me in that light. And he said, this is, that's why I died. I came up out of the vision and I had a whole new perspective on who, who God was, who Jesus Christ was, and what that meant to me and, and what he did for me on the cross and dying for my sins and taking my sins and, 
and feeling my sins. Keith got off the drugs and started looking to God for answers. The more of the Word of God that I put in me, the less I heard of those voices. And the more I began to, 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 to hold on to the truth of Jesus. Later, Keith joined the secular band David and the Giants as a drummer. Right away, he shared his faith. I began to continually talk to them about Jesus. One night, David finally um, heard me, and he came to the Lord. And the other guys in the band, his brothers, also began to believe in Jesus. And so, in 1977, we began to be a Christian band. Keith also married. He and his wife, Kathy, a dancer, founded Ballet Magnificat, a popular touring Christian ballet company. Keith says now he sees it was God's purpose and plan for him to use his creative talents to share the love of Jesus. God has used dance, he's used Ballet Magnificat, he's used uh, David and the Giants um, just to change people's lives, just to encourage people and to, uh, to, to convict people, not through what we do, but through what the Holy Spirit does through us. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. All right, so again, that was little Ricky, uh, the actor from the I Love Lucy show all these years later. And, you know, it was interesting to me because, Beatrice, you've been with me on the phone when my brother's called who yeah. suffers from schizophrenia. And I know, Donna, your sister yes. does as well. And my brother does hear voices. Mm -hmm. And that's what he said to me last time, that he felt as though they were going to harm him. And it's really difficult for me to wrap my head around that. Yeah. And um, being a Christian, I always help hope that praying for him or with him or getting he does say when he reads the bible it helps him but Amen. it's a scary situation to be in i cannot tell you over the last six years of doing the good news and having done tv news for 20 years how uh, mind-blowing is to me to hear these transformational stories where like legit jesus can change your life right mm -hmm. right and uh, you know having a sister that's schizophrenic too um I do believe there's a real uh, chemical component to that, Absolutely. but I also Absolutely. believe that the enemy uses that and Absolutely. amplifies yeah. those voices. Mm -hmm. And Beatrice in her book, um, I mean, you just, you really um, put a light on the spiritual realm and how, um, how real that is. And Amen. to hear little Ricky's story about, you know, God, if you're real, um, he went to the dark side and he started doing Ouija boards and all these things. And, and I actually, as a teenager, went there too. Oh, yeah. And I will tell yeah. you, it is real. I had some experiences where I, I heard voices. Oh, yes. And so when I read the Baby Chronicles, you know, it, it really opened up. Oh, yeah. You know, I kind of had forgotten about that. But yes, our spiritual battles are real. Yes, they are. And it's a whole spiritual realm out there that yes. we're not mm -hmm. even aware of. That's right. Well, you know, we're in the message of hope. We're in the hope business mm -hmm. and that we, we like to offer hope every day. So when we find people uh, for the good news that we feel have a hopeful message, we'd love to have them join us. We've got Miguel and Kelly Cervantes joining us. And uh, I understand that, uh, Miguel, you are a Hamilton star uh, out of Chicago. Uh, love that neck of the woods. And also I see here a care advocate. So welcome to both of you. Hi, thanks for having us. We're, uh, we're happy to be here. Hello. Hi. So tell us, kind of give us a little snippet, your, you know, one-minute uh, team elevator story, uh, you know, of uh, who you are and what you stand for. You know, we, uh, my daughter was born in October of uh, 2017. 15. Yeah, sorry, 2015. <laughs> um, and um, as, as we were learning of her sort of 
of the epilepsy and her condition, I was also learning that I was going to be Hamilton uh, in Chicago. You know, I was, so we were going on two very, very different journeys at the same time, learning about epilepsy and all that it entails and the difficulties and the struggles in treating it in her situation, as well as moving my family to Chicago and taking on the biggest role that's in the world right now. Um, so it was, it was a pretty difficult time. And um, when we got to Chicago, uh, my wife had contacts with Cure and uh, made contact with them, and we began to work with them. So Cure is... Yeah, explain um, what Cure United is. For, yeah. yeah, so Cure is um, Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy. So it is the largest privately funded uh, nonprofit raising money for epilepsy research um, in the country, so and, and possibly the world. So um, the, the, the statistics around epilepsy... I, we knew nothing about epilepsy other than what you see in movies. You know, you hear about grandma seizures, and, and that's not what our daughter's seizures looked like at all. They were very slight. Um, it, you could miss them so easily. And, you know, as we started investigating, we, you know, one in 26 Americans will be diagnosed with epilepsy. Of those, that group of people, uh, 30% are resistant to drug treatment. 60% never find out why they have the seizures in the first place. And, um, you know, there's lots of stigma around epilepsy and people don't talk about it. So they don't realize what a big problem it is. And, and with the platform that all of a sudden we found ourselves with through Hamilton, we really felt like it was, um, you know, there's, there's only so much we can do for our daughter at this point, but if we can help other people and, and raise money for research and, and find a cure, then, um, that helps us get through the day. Well, and, you know, you're a young family. I, you know, I was reading in the Chicago Tribune about, um, you know, you're at the, your daughter's bedside and um, little baby Adelaide is in New York uh, getting a spinal tap. When you, Miguel, get this call uh, uh, for the show, I mean, talk about uh, a tornado of uh, change in your life. Yeah, you know, like we were saying, that, you know, as, as a young family, the, you know, the last thing you want to ever have to, talk about is having a sick child and 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 that and the devastation that you kind of feel when you get the realization that this is going to be part of your life um but at the same time you know so i was standing you know with my daughters hooked up to the eeg which is the brain scanner the electro scanner on her head and she was going to get the lumbar puncture and i had to go i had said i have to go and i walked into a room with 25 people looking at me in the biggest audition of my life you know and uh there was a part of me that was in that room and singing Hamilton songs, but a bigger part of me was in the hospital room with my daughter wanting to be back with her. So I think that there was a little bit of calm that I got from knowing that even though this audition was the biggest thing in my life, there was something more important. There was some other greater calling that I had to make sure that I was there for her. And I think that was part of the reason why it all came together the way it did. Well, how did you, I'm just curious, like, as a woman, emotionally, I don't know how I could hold it together. I know there's a song in Hamilton where, aren't you singing to the baby son who then grows up and yeah, gets killed I in a duel? I, it's called the Theodosia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the lullaby, Theodosia, um, is to, uh, it's, he's singing to his son. Um, but I had to sing the part that is to, the, the, in the audition, it was I was singing the other part, which is the guy singing to his daughter. And I sang that song in there. And I decided I wouldn't let my own personal... Um, emotion overtake, but there's no denying that there was 
my real feelings were plastered all over my face and my body. And I really think that's the reason why, you know, one of the producers came out of the room after I left the room and he gave me this big hug and he said, he said, that was beautiful. That was absolutely beautiful. And I didn't know what to say. And then I kind of started crying outside the room and uh, a guy who was out there, he's actually plays Lafayette now he's in the show, but he looked at me and he said, Hey man, I think it's going to be okay. I think you probably did great. And I said, no, man, I'm not, a, I'm, I don't love Hamilton that much. You know, so the emotions kind of came out after. Um, but, you know, I, I really do feel like there was a part of, you know, my, my, you know, I say that my, my daughter was, uh, was sitting on my shoulder holding, holding me up to, to, to get me through that day. And, and I mm-hmm. think that there was, there was a reason why we, we, we were able to do it. All right. So, Miguel, we know you got the part and that you've, you know, you've moved into all of this success in that Hamilton role. Uh, but Kelly, I mean, come on, let's be honest, even in the midst of your husband's success, you've now got a daughter, a baby, and you've got a son, too. So you've got the baby with epilepsy. Your, your husband is now extremely busy and everybody wants a piece of him. Like, oh, can he appear at this? Can he come to that? Can he sing this? Can he sing that? And then you've got extra weight on your shoulders. So how have you dealt with the last, you know, uh, two years? It was an interesting transition. I actually, prior to Miguel booking Hamilton, I was our primary breadwinner. Miguel was teaching, um, he was sort of in between shows and had been teaching music classes to kids. And I was the one who was commuting into the city every day. And and paying all of the bills. And Miguel booked Hamilton. We found out we were moving to Chicago and Adelaide had epilepsy and overnight, wow. quite literally overnight, I became a stay-at-home mom, yeah. um, which was not necessarily my vision for my life. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's the best thing that could have happened to our family. And we are so incredibly grateful that we are financially able to have me home with her. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine it any other way. And, and so, you know, it was, you know, all of it was just so fortuitous that, you know, all of this happened. And, um, but it's, it's a struggle. Every day is hard. You know, Adelaide turned two last week, but developmentally she's two months old mm. and she'll make progress and we'll get the seizures under control. And then the seizures come back and she has another regression and we lose all of the progress that we lost. And, uh. um, you know, I think, you know, Miguel and I and our marriage has become closer and stronger through this. And we've learned how to, parent um, and to love each other in a way that we um, never could have imagined. And, you know, it's, it's tough, but this is something that, that we do together. And, um, you know, I, we're, we're grateful for, um, you know, I, I call it our, our silver linings and just always keeping eyes out for the silver linings and, and trying not to focus on, you know, the milestones that Adelaide may not, reach um but the inch stones that she can so miguel and kelly uh, we're almost out of time what's the takeaway what do you want people to remember uh after they hear your interview i mean what 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 we want the most is for people to understand that epilepsy is a huge issue and it needs more work more needs to be done to help the children and the adults um uh, we want it to be out in the forefront you know we really do care about grandma and grandpa and their parkinson's and their alzheimer's we should also absolutely care about the kids and the epilepsy, and there's more needs to be done. There's not enough. When the doctor says to you, we don't know really how to treat this. We only have things that we can try. Oh. It's, it's mm. terrible news. Where so that can, is, our, is there a website you want to peep, uh, send people to, check out Project yes. Cure? Listen, yes. All, uh, the, your, it happens to be November is the Epilepsy Awareness Month. The website is myshotatepilepsy.org. 
org. And that's the campaign we're running in November. There's a great, cool campaign that we're running. We're going to try to spread it all over the country um, with with the Hamilton theme. So um, you can learn about epilepsy. You can learn about the campaign. MyShotAtEpilepsy.org. Check it out. Tell your friends. Tell everybody. It's going to be really cool. Well, thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Miguel, very much. We wish you luck. We'll be praying for your family. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, ladies. Wow. It just, you know, the... Everybody's got a story. That's right. You know, I think that he got that because of that baby girl because he put himself into that during his audition. That was his baby girl. He feels that way too. All right, we'll be right back. The good news of Jesus for you in high definition radio and streaming at 670kltt.com. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver. Hi, it's Angie. My favorite vacation spot in the world has a deal for you. It's YMCA of the Rockies. It's their 110th anniversary at the YMCA of the Rockies, and they're offering lodge rooms for $84 per night. My whole family stays in one lodge room. That deal is through the end of December and includes two free breakfasts every morning. And here's some of the things that are included. Some of these cost a little bit more, but most of them are free, like the roller skating, swimming. There's a Nordic Center. It's a little extra for rock climbing. You can learn how to do archery, horseback riding at Snow Mountain Ranch. The s'mores and the campfires are so much fun. Sometimes there's singing and sometimes there's movies. And we see this guy called the Mountain Man. My family loves this spot. We go at least twice a year. And we will be enjoying this offer ourselves as well. Again, it's the 110th anniversary. YMCA winter deals, 84 bucks for a lodge room. A family of five can sleep in one of these lodge rooms. And again, two free breakfasts per day. Check it out, YMCA. MCAOfTheRockies.org. Welcome back to the good news. Leslie and Doug Gustafson are here, and uh, you two have not had the joy of uh, hearing some of the testimonies we've been doing. When I started the good news five, six years ago, I guess it's six now, um, we really wanted to share testimonies that talked about the transformational power of Christ and people's lives changed. And so there's a website that I really liked. It's called Like. It's called I Am Second, and they're in-depth testimonies with people, some famous, some not famous, but many people that I think people are surprised sometimes when someone famous is, you know, an outspoken Christian because so many people feel compelled to stay quiet about it, mm, about their faith so mm-hmm. in, you know, our c- current climate in the world. Well, this is Scott Hamilton, who many people will remember, especially, you know, our age group, um, as an Olympic skater. He's tiny. He's like 5'3". He's bald now, but I think he stayed pretty active in announcing and things over mm-hmm. the years. Mm-hmm. And his cancer battle was pretty well known as well. And isn't he married to uh, Nadia? Is it Nadia Comaneci? Oh, is really? That the, is he? No, because no. He, he, I, I didn't look it up, but, I, but he kept saying her name like I was supposed to know her name. He oh. says it in the video. Scott Hamilton says Kristen or Karen. Okay. Something like that. So maybe he is a di- it's a different wife then because I... I met him once, and I swear I thought he was married to, um, uh, well, we'll figure it out in a minute. But anyway, so this is just a story. Oh, I see her. Oh, aren't they so cute? (laughs) Oh, he's got a cute little wife. So Nadia is married to another um, famous, I think it might be a gymnast, uh, which would make sense, wouldn't it? All right, so what these basically, these I Am Second stories do is they kind of talk about, faith obviously 
Oh, there's her. Bart Connors, who Nadia Comaneci is yes. married to. Bart Connor. Another tiny blonde guy. Well, Scott was blonde before he went bald. Um, and it really is uh, touching to hear how Christ helps people through some of the most difficult times in their lives. And I think that these testimonies give people hope when they're in dark places in their lives. So let's uh, get started and feel free, you know, just uh, raise your hand and, you know, uh, speak up if you want to interrupt because it's about a 10-minute testimony, but believe me, it's very touching. I don't think anyone's truly equipped to go out in front of a billion, two billion, three billion people on an Olympic stage, and you're scared out of your mind. On a 200 by 100 surface of ice, you wonder why you do this because you're so nervous. On two 10 inch lengths of quarter inch wide steel, through this, just get me through this. And you're to manipulate those edges for four and a half minutes and do triple jumps and athleticism and not make a mistake. It's impossible. But I found a way to be just, just good enough <laughs> to win the gold medal. The more I look back on it, I think it's unbelievably awesome. Like, that was me. You know, I always thought if I could be really good on the ice, you know, I could become famous. <laughs> I, I think I'm probably more known for my health problems now than I am for anything I ever did um, on skates. When I was very little, I suffered from a disease that stopped me from growing. It was in and out of hospitals for years, and I was never really home. And so what ended up happening was I came back from kind of being in and out of hospitals, and I ended up going to the skating club thing just by accident. And I found skating, which kind of took on a life of its own, and it progressed. And pretty soon I'm competing. Pretty soon I'm living away from home. All my role models and, and the people that were teaching me how to live day to day were older skaters. So there was a lot of it that was terrific, but a lot of it that really um, wasn't guiding me in, in any real direction. It wasn't until I suffered the devastation of my mother losing her battle to cancer that something was awakened in me. I knew I needed something more, something better. I think I needed to have uh, some strength. And my mother um, was my source of strength. When she was living, I would disappoint her. But when she, when she was gone, I, I just didn't ever want to be less than she thought I could be. I was happy to just entertain. I do well, and I think that was that was good enough. Skating had given me life as a child, and it given me, you know, kind of a strength as an adult. But what was about to happen uh, really changed my life forever. You know, cancer, it put me into a phase of my life where I just needed to kind of sort it all out. I just survived something. Why? I, I survived something that took the most important person in my life off the planet. That was my mother. She died of cancer and I survived. What's my purpose now? What, what do I need to do? Why, how do I? And a big part of 
the dust settling was getting with Tracy. And she brought me to the church. She took me to a minister, a man named Ken Durham. And the first thing he said to me, which was, was extraordinary, was he goes, you have to understand that Christianity is, is a faith of history. These things actually happened. And I go, okay, that's a good starting off point. And just study what has happened and, and see how that resonates in your own life. And it grew. It just sort of, it's like, okay, I get it. When you survive testicular cancer um, and you want to start a family, you don't know what the issues are going to be. And um, I prayed that I, I would someday become a father. Tracy and I, we got engaged and married, and then my son was born nine months and two days after we got married. <laughs> so I guess there was a plan there. All right, so I wanted to stop for a second and talk about They've adopted kids, by the way, now from Haiti as well. Oh, yeah. There's a beautiful picture of him and his oh, wife with yes, their children, that. and then yeah. the kids that they adopted as right. well. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he said um, after his mom died that he didn't ever want to be less than she thought that um, he could be, that he she he wanted to live up to her expectations of him. I thought about you. And you posted yeah. about it again last week about yeah, your mom. This is the this is the month. This is the month of my year where I lost both my parents, but my mom um, lost her on the 30th of December from cancer, stomach cancer, 16 years ago. And she was, for sure, my best friend at the time. My husband is now. Um, but it, it changed my path just so dramatically um, from the standpoint of, you know, you hear it. It's trite. Uh, life is short. You never know what tomorrow's going to bring. But that really became my truth. And... Um, my mission was to do big things and do good things and be a light in this world and live essentially the life she didn't get. She was in the prime of her life, uh, the hub of our house. How um, old was she? She was diagnosed at 65 and passed at 67. My boy was two years old. Oh, so she didn't get to watch So him. no, she was Grow diagnosed up. when he was two months old. Um, and it just shaped a fire in me that couldn't have happened from anything other than that, I don't yeah. think. And um, you, you, you mentioned living for both of your parents, that you yes, really live in their yes, honor. Your post was so beautiful that you put you. up in honor of your parents. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I didn't have perfect parents, but I did have amazing parents who did the best they could. Neither had mothers as children. Um, so, you know, I just am blessed to have them and miss them every day. But, you know, you take on the things from your parents. They live, it lives inside of you. Yeah, uh, and you can make great use of that, and that's my intention in my life. I hope I get to be nine to five, you know, and surpass their ages. Um, but yes, they, you know, married forty six years, and um, you know, he was the rebel, she was the sweetheart initially. But you know, they really lived a full life, and they both thankfully knew the Lord. 
they knew the Lord. And so that's a great comfort. You know, you had told me about your parents and just, you know, what they instilled in you and what, you know, you um, learned from them and how you live your life in honor of them. I'm, I'm going to read it and um, because I th- I felt it was so touching. I hope I don't start crying when I read it. But, I'm going um, to start crying so, again. So <laughs> Leslie wrote this um, just this month in December, and I, I, it just stood out to me because we just had this discussion. And I just think it's really neat when someone has put so much love into you that then you live your life in honor of them, and you hope that every day you honor them. And we're going to go to the, be- the rest of Scott Hamilton's story, but this is what he did. He wanted to live... Maybe he wouldn't have gone to the Olympics had he not lost his mom because he wanted to live this life to honor her and to be everything she thought he could be. So Leslie uh, wrote about her parents and she put specifically today would have been my mother's 83rd birthday and that was December 12th I lost her my best friend on December 30th 16 years ago to cancer in the prime of her life in two days December 14th marks the loss of my father three years years ago to Louis body dementia is that right yes both have left a nearly unexplainable profound mark on my life every day I live is shaped by their love legacy and unique personalities much like my mom I am an artist and beautifier of life I like that much concerned with creativity and aesthetics and you dress that way and do your makeup that way <laughs> you're like Cindy who's on the show a lot you guys every day you come in you're like artwork like your earrings match your <laughs> lipstick match your outfit it's fun. Your heels yeah I love that where you treat your you know the way that you dress as uh, like art um, you put that you're much concerned Concerned, like your mom with creativity and aesthetics she shows up in my dreams often when when I laugh those who knew her hear her because your laughs are yes. so much alike I look down now and see her hands I still wear her clothes and jewelry to this day as creativity has always extended itself to fashion for us as we were just saying uh, she was the hub of our family an artist antique dealer teacher and philanthropist I could go on and on my dad was the definition of true grit as a man, lieutenant colonel in the Marines, insurance entrepreneur, motivational speaker, avid golfer and gambler, keeping it real, wonderful dancer, and less known singer and Boston marathoner. Wow, to do that, you've got to have perseverance. Serious. And you wrote, my perseverance, a defining part of me, comes from him. His story is one of rising up from family hardship and abuse into a man of great stature and a bigger-than-life personality. I could go on and on. Needless to say, I miss them profoundly every day, but they live on in me and the life and my life work I passionately invest uh, in, in my life's work that I passionately invest in with a fervor that has been born from these losses I am comforted that both uh, had a saving relationship with Jesus and are together with each other in heaven I love you daddy and mommy thank you for being my parents thank you thank you thank you many exclamation points you know I go back to the little part that you say he his is a story of rising up from family hardship and abuse into a man of great stature I think that's the thing that Jesus enables us to do is to stop that cycle of abuse and here he left this legacy of love behind in you and you know in his family whereas many people aren't able to break that cycle of abuse and leave a legacy that is disgraceful and here your dad was able to leave behind a legacy of love that he can be so proud of Mm. Thank you for making that parallel. I think another legacy, though, is that I knew her parents and loved them. And uh, to me, they brought such light into the world. Really? Maybe as Scott's mom did. And and when I look at Leslie, she's carrying on that light. Oh, yeah, I I would agree. And that's why I wrote that. I hardly ever respond. But I agree because I feel like you do take it seriously, um, you know, uh, living living their legacy, you know, and... um, just making them proud of you every day. I think you do that. I think I'm called to. I think I'm called to. 
And what a blessing to be called to a big life because of their loss and also because of who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. you the know? light of the world. I love that. You know? All right, let's finish Scott so we're, while we're so all crying. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> let's finish Scott Hamilton's uh, story again. This is Scott Hamilton, Olympic gold medalist, a skater, uh, announcer, dad, and he's talking about getting married to his wife, going to church, and finding out, uh, you know, Karen took him to church, finding out about Jesus. I thought I paid my health dues when I had cancer, but this was a whole other issue. Uh, I have a brain tumor. How do I tell my wife? And we have a 14-month-old son. How do, I, how do I tell my wife that I have a brain tumor? I'd just gotten the news an hour before. I met them at the hotel, and I, she goes, what's going on? And I said, I have a brain tumor. And she took my hands, and without hesitation, she just started to pray. And it was in that moment I knew where I was going to put everything. My trust, my faith, everything. So the most powerful moment of my life. From that moment forward, we just said, whatever it is, whatever it takes, we'll face this. When they're gonna do a biopsy, they tell you, we're gonna drill a hole in your head, and then we're gonna take um, a needle down through your brain and take a piece of the tumor. <laughs> they said, we seem to have found a safe corridor <laughs> to do this. And I go, well, I'm not using most of it. But um, they tell you all the things that can go wrong in that surgery. And I remember waking up, and I looked at the clock, and it was 10.20. I knew where I was, and then the next thing I saw was my wife come in with a smile on her face. She said, they know what it is. And they found out that that brain tumor was one that I was born with, one that I'd had since birth, which inhibited my growth as a young child. That was the mysterious illness I had that they never diagnosed, oh that got me into skating. Who would I be? without a brain tumor. I'm five foot four. If I were five eight, if I would have grown those years, five ten, where would I be? Who would I be? I could choose to look at it as debilitating, could choose to focus on the suffering. I choose to look at that brain tumor as the greatest gift I could have gotten because it made everything else possible. Wow. wow. Isn't that crazy? Yes. There's this part coming up with this where he talks about praying and about finding comfort in God, which I really want to get to before the end of the segment. I didn't this time. It's right here. I didn't think I would survive. One point I was starting to really feel weak. And one nurse in particular, I was up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I just was uncomfortable. And she was, can, can I get you anything? And I, I just said, no. I go, I'm just a little scared. And she said, do you pray? I said, yes. And she said, what do you say when you pray? 
go, well, I just, I just thank God for all the blessings in my life. Do you ask him for anything? No, I just, I just want him to know I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Well, who is God to you? And I said, well, I, I guess he's, he's my father. Oh, you're a father, right? Yes. If one of your children were hurting, wouldn't you want him to come to you for comfort, strength? Yes. So I change the way I pray now. I ask. Uninhibitedly, I ask. I ask to heal. I ask for strength. I ask for courage. I ask for another child. Want to talk about miracles? It's after surviving the pituitary brain tumor. It's impossible, practically impossible. I did six injections a week for two years. Anyway, that was that part. Like, wow. wow. And he had another a biological child, and now he's adopted two more from Haiti. At least that I know of, they have four kids. All right. We are about out of time. Wow. Well, Leslie and Doug, I hope you enjoyed the I Am Second uh, testimony. Yeah. Scott yes. Hamilton, Olympic yes. skater. Just... <laughs> you know, getting to talk about your so parents' legacy Thank you for as that. Well. Thank you for that. It right. honors them. Thank it honors you. me. <laughs> Thank you. Give us your website. Authenticandtrue.com. We'll be right back with the good news. Hi, it's Angie. Hey, would you like to donate items? You know, maybe some old sporting equipment, old furniture, old clothing. You'd like the tax write-off. You'd like to help others, but it's kind of a hassle to gather it all up and drop it off, and you're just too busy. Well, guess what? Bark Thrift Stores, they will come right to you, to your house, pick up your items, and leave you your tax write-off donation form. How do you do that? Call 303-238-JANE, 238-5263. And again, all of these items that you donate, they help people right in our own community. Uh, they help people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And what better thing to do with your items that you no longer need than to help others? I shop at ARC all the time. I get my kids sporting equipment, gotten a rocking chair. I've gotten boots there. I have a purse that's amazing that still had the tags on it. It's a coach bag, and I got it at ARC. I shop there, and I help others, and I donate my items about once every month or two. And I call 303-238-JANE, and they come right to my house with a truck, and they pick everything up. Here, check it out. Again, 303-238-JANE. For over 120 years, the Denver Rescue Mission has been providing services to those in need and the homeless in the metro area. It is the oldest full-service Christian charity in the Rocky Mountain region. Since its conception in 1892, it has expanded to helping the homeless and hungry to provide services for men and single mothers, offering programs such as rehabilitation for those suffering from addiction and abuse, education and career centers, family services, and life restoration. The Denver Rescue Mission is always in need of your assistance. You can help this growing organization by donating clothing, food, furniture, and more at any of the drop-off locations. For more information on their services, ways you can help, and to donate online, go to denverrescuemission.org. denverrescuemission.org. Changing lives in the name of Christ. Angie Austin here with the good news, along with Dr. Joe Arve, who always has good news for us. What's shaking, Dr. Joe Arve? Everything is shaking, and I'm getting really excited about this next workshop that we're having on January 20th in 2018. So it's ready 
Get your New Year's revolution ready to go, and we're going to have fun. The event is called Now is the Time, and we're going to talk about how to fix your thyroid, how to lose that weight, how to balance your hormones. We're going to talk about solutions to infertility, which many are struggling with. And then for the men, we're also going to talk about how to boost your testosterone like nobody's business. It's going to be a great time. We're going to have fun. Can't wait to see everybody there. Well, I love the idea of now is the time, and again, this will be in January, uh, and, and now is the time as in so many people put it off, but what better time than now before you get cancer, before you get, you know, or to prevent yourself from getting Alzheimer's. There's so many things we're learning about living longer, staying stronger, staying healthy. Why not put them into your life now so you don't have to get that diagnosis? Yeah, I mean, there's things we deal with every day that if we just had a habit, we just had a plan in place, to really reach our goals, reach our dreams, reach our health, it's not a, it's, you know, we don't say we're going to build a giant wall. We simply say, okay, let's lay one brick at a time down in a, in a, in a perfect position. And then as time goes on, then you have that big, nice, perfect wall. And so it's like looking at what we're thinking, looking at is there any traumas going on we need to watch with our posture, looking at what we're putting in our body. Are, are we detoxing or are we putting toxins in? And we, how we live this on a daily basis and realize enough's enough. It's no longer someday I'll get to it. It's no longer maybe I'll get to it. It's now I'm going to get to it, and I'm going to help everybody, you know, on January 20th, say that now is the time. Now is the time I'm going to get to make changes. Now I'm going to become that person I always wanted to be. Because, again, someday we're all going to be sitting, I call it the rocking chair uh, day, where you're sitting in the rocking chair, and do you want to be there with your spouse? And do you want to have any regrets? Or do you want to be sitting there saying, look what we did. Look what God did through us and for us over the last 50, 60, 70, 80 years and be happy about that. But if we're not making those daily choices today and doing those daily habits, it happens one day at a time. And we're going to show you how to get a hold of your life, get control of your life, and really make now the time to make serious change in your life. Well, and that, that whole rocking chair test, I think that's a really good way to look, you know, back on your life and to live each day so that as you're working your way towards that rocking chair that you can enjoy your time there and be with your family and be there for your grandkids and attend graduations and different events that you really want to be there for. One of my friends just went on a cruise with all of the extended family and all of these grandkids there, and she said, she said it was the time of her life and to be able to be healthy enough uh, to be there with all those grandkids and to enjoy that time. It just... I mean, that's pure heaven on earth. Yeah, and you have to have a plan. It doesn't just ha- unfortunately it doesn't just happen. There's just way too many toxins out there today, and unfortunately, there's way too many ways to develop thinking, thinking, and feel bad about yourself, especially with social media. And there's just way too many ways to allow your nervous system and your posture to suffer. And and what that does, it sets you up for for not having the life that you want to live. You know, we're you know, as I like just like I've heard one of our pastors say, you know, honeybees make honey. And silkworms make silk. Humans were created to create a future. And if we're not consciously aware every hour, every day, of what the future of creating a better tomorrow, then we're going to get a tomorrow or a future that we don't like, that we don't want, and literally we can't afford. So that's why I want everybody to come on January 20th, get signed up. Seats it's, it's free to, to your listeners, Angie, but seats are limited. This will fill up and this will sell out. So get your tickets now. What I need you to do is call 303-349-6011. Again, 303-349-6011 and get your seats now. I know it's still December. Get your seats now so we can get you plugged in and really make good changes starting now. 
Well, I, all the research is coming out. Uh, Dr. Joe is on top of all the new info. There's a new info about sugar and its impact on Alzheimer's. It's fascinating. I was just reading about that. So everything you'll learn is going to you know, give you tricks. Uh, and well, not even tricks, just basic information that can help you live longer and feel better, so that you and your spouse can be there, you know, for all the great grandkid, in, you know, grandkid in the future events that are going to occur. You want to be part of that. All right, again, 303-349-6011, 303-349-6011. Dr. Joe Arve, January twentieth. Thank you, Dr. Joe. Blessings. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. You're tuned to AM670, KLTT Commerce City, Denver, KLTT HD, and streaming worldwide at 670KLTT.com. Can the Bible help you plan during turbulent economic times and reduce or eliminate risk? Discover the answers to your important financial questions from Denver's biblical investment advisor, Colin Richards. Tune in Saturday morning at 11 a.m. on 670 KLTT to hear Colin share the ways financially secure individuals are using principles from God's Word to prosper. That's Saturday morning at 11 right here on 670 KLTT or at lordandrichards.com. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC, AEWM. AEWM and Lord Richards are not affiliated companies. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Steve Russo with Real Answers. Unless you've been around a farm, you're not familiar with a manger or feeding trough. But one plays an important role in the Christmas story. Luke, author of the biblical book that bears his name, mentions the feeding trough three times as he tells the Christmas story. Why is this so important? Because it was the sign to the shepherds that they would know what baby they were looking for, and it proved what the angel was saying was true. It's also another human touch to the Christmas story. Think about a young mother with a brand new baby son finding a feeding trough ready to lay her baby in. Imagine God coming down to the chaos and mess of real life. This Christmas, when you see a nativity scene, be grateful that you have a God who can really relate to and understand the things you face in daily life. For information on books and other resources by Steve Russo, visit the Real Answers website, realanswers.com. Something special happens around the manger. Hi, this is Dave Zanotti with Christmas in America. Let's talk about it today on The Public Square. Every year we get together for a series of live events, musical concert events called Christmas in America, where we put together history and music and go looking for the manger. We did it again this year with some lovely guests and some wonderful experiences, and I'm here to report that lives were genuinely touched. I'm mindful of one of our performers who said to me that he was really glad he wasn't asked to sing in the final number because by the time the show was over, he was so choked up he couldn't sing another note. The meaning of focusing on the manger and the beauty of the music. People traveled from all over the world to come to the event. Some of our performers did as well, and they will tell you that they've never had an experience quite like that. There were people in the room who had been coming to these events for a series of years. One gentleman brought me aside and said, you know, my wife has been in remission from cancer for the last several years, and she comes to these events every year. I cannot tell you how much inspiration she has just derived from these musical celebrations of the manger.
Well, friends, I got to tell you, that means a lot to me and, and to our entire team. I could tell you so many more stories, but uh, there's just not enough time. I do want to tell you a story of thankfulness, though, and that's that every one of us are thankful that you listen every day to the public square and that you support this radio ministry, this work of service to America, and that you help us bring this mission of bringing the manger back into our thinking and into our processes uh, every single year. So thank you for your support for Christmas in America. Please visit us at the public square and make sure you get this year's addition to your home and to your family. This is Dave Zanotti on the public square. Thanks for listening. This is News, Politics, and Commentary with Bob Duco. On tomorrow's commentary, we're going to be dealing with the vote on the tax reform bill in the House and the Senate. But today, I want to talk about something else that happened in the news. Many of you probably saw this, that Sunday night, the Atlanta airport, Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport, ended up, for all intent and purposes, shutting down because they completely lost power. Now, this is the largest airport in the United States, and some reports say the largest in the world. But bottom line, you had thousands of passengers that were stranded. 1,500 flights were affected. You had people that were stuck there for hours and hours on end. And you know what? They couldn't even feed these people because their restaurants weren't working. They couldn't fire up the grills and cook the food or anything like this. So this was a total nightmare. Guess who came to the rescue? Chick-fil-A. That's right, Chick-fil-A restaurants, which, as you know, are closed on Sundays because this is a Christian-run business. They're one of the largest fast food franchise-type companies in the entire nation, but they're run by Christians, and they close down every Sunday. Well, it turns out the mayor of Atlanta had contacted Chick-fil-A and said, hey, we know you guys are closed on Sunday. We know it's 1030 at night on Sunday night. Is there anything you can do to help the people here that are so hungry? You know what Chick-fil-A did? They called a bunch of their employees and a bunch of their managers who are off on Sunday, and it's late Sunday night, and you know what they did? They flooded into their stores in the area. They started firing up their own grills, and they cooked a whole bunch, thousands and thousands of meals and sandwiches, and then took them over to the airport and started passing them out to people there at the airport. This is what Chick-fil-A did. The mayor of Atlanta, Mayor Kasim Reed, personally thanked the owner of Chick-fil-A, the CEO, Dan Cathy, for his support in this area. Now, you may recall, Dan Cathy is the gentleman, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, who several years ago was giving an interview with Baptist Press. Baptist Press, of course, a Christian news service. And in this interview, the reporter asked him his personal views on gay marriage. Well, as a born-again evangelical Christian, he said, look, I don't support gay marriage. I believe that marriage is as God ordained it in the Bible between one man and one woman. He shared his personal views. Remember what happened since then? For the last several years, you've had the media, you've had Hollywood celebrities, you've had liberal colleges, you've had Democrats and others trying to smear Chick-fil-A as some evil, hateful, bigoted organization. You have college campuses that are refusing to allow Chick-fil-A even on their campuses. You have city councils who have voted not to allow Chick-fil-A to open up restaurants in their cities because they're somehow a symbol of hate. Even though Chick-fil-A restaurants employ plenty of homosexuals across the country because they don't have discriminatory policies against gay people. These were the personal views of the Christian president CEO of Chick-fil-A. But the hateful left in this country and the LGBT groups have boycotted and tried to smear Chick-fil-A 
as some kind of evil organization. And interestingly enough, where's the mainstream media in this? With all the news reports about what happened at Atlanta's airport Sunday night, how many of you even knew that Chick-fil-A came to the rescue to feed all of those people late Sunday night? before I just now told you. You see, that's the kind of stuff that's not really newsworthy, according to our... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.